Let me ask you, have you ever been given the worst job in a group? You ever been given the worst, the worst task? Growing up, I was four years older than my younger brother. We had a great deal of chores. Uh, take care of the dogs, shovel the driveway, shovel the roof, the snow off of the roof. We had to do that. Mow the lawn. Most of these were not very bad at all, but there was one task that was the bane of my existence. The tra- task I dreaded the most, removing leaves from the landscaping rocks. We had a leaf blower, and that leaf blower could be reversed and turned into a leaf vacuum cleaner. And you could suck the leaves into this bag, and this was before batteries existed, I'm pretty sure. But you had to have this long extension cord, and you had this bag attached, and you have these dust particles all over your face, and you have this extension cord, and you have all this rock, and, and you're sucking the, the leaves out of the rocks, vacuuming the outdoors. And the worst part about it is you never, ever finished. Because the leaves were caught into the rock and you, you filled a bag and then it feels like you did, you did nothing. You can barely see. And my house had, like I swear, 147 tons of rock around it. So it seemed like there was no end to vacuuming the outdoors. Now my brother, mind you, is four years younger than me. He had tasks as well. I'm sure he did. Pick up sticks from the yard, or I often saw him having to pick the strawberries. So here am I vacuuming outdoors, and he is eating strawberries. It was really hard to stay focused on my task. Have you ever been in a situation like that? At work, you have to do the hard, dirty job You have to go and talk to the irate customer. You have the responsibility to lead the team, and everything comes back onto you if things do not go well. Or you have to stay home with three sick kids when you are also not feeling well. It often seems like other people don't nearly have it as hard. It's easy to think, well, their kids always obey They never argue with their spouse. Everyone at work loves them. Why does everything go right for them when it seems like everything is a struggle for me? Where is the Lord in that moment? Where is the Lord when those thoughts are so tempting to let marinate in your mind? As a follower of Christ, who is seeking to even share in the sufferings of Christ, Everything we do is going to be laced with some level of suffering in this broken and sin-cursed world. Yet, for a Christian, there is hope. This year, we've been focusing our theme of hope for everyday life. And our series over First Peter was really focused on hope in everyday suffering. How do we respond to everyday life when we know that suffering is coming or we're in the middle of suffering? How does our mission to follow Jesus allow us to focus in a way where we don't compare ourselves to others and we have the motivation to not just survive, not just get through the day, but to move forward and persevere and and bear righteous fruit 
for the glory of God. Now, we've concluded our series on 1 Peter, and we're going to be starting our series on 2 Peter next week. But today, we're going to look at a section of Peter's life in the Gospels. We're going to look at a section of Peter's life that's recorded in the Scripture where it's critical to the motivation with how he lived and then how that flowed out of his life as he called others to endure suffering as well. We're going to see an interaction that Peter had with Jesus about his mission and how suffering and shepherding God's flock and how he wants them to be filled with the nourishment of God's word so they can bear fruit even in the face of a broken world. So today, we're talking about following Jesus when faced with suffering. With that in mind, would you please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 18 through 25, and if you need a Bible, there is a Bible under the chair in front of you. If you turn to page 91 in the back section, there you'll find John chapter 21. Please follow along as I read from the word of the Lord, John 21, starting in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourselves and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he, namely Peter, he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. With our time today, let's look at three keys to following Jesus when suffering is on the horizon. Now, the first one seems quite basic but it is the foundation that we build on, and that is focus on the mission of glorifying God. Jesus talks to Peter, and he says, truly, truly, I said to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Note that. And someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, he said that, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Just consider for a moment Peter's mission. In the context of John 21, Peter had just had breakfast with Jesus. 
And he was restored after denying Jesus three times before Jesus' crucifixion. And now, upon being restored, Jesus has given him the mission to feed his flock. Peter affirms his love for Jesus three times. Jesus asks him, do you love me? And he also calls him three times to tend the lambs or shepherd the sheep. Basically, to to feed and nourish and protect God's people with God's word. Now, in addition to this mission, here we have our section of Scripture, where Jesus also gives Peter a picture of what his life, especially the end of his life, is going to be like, and namely that suffering is going to accompany it. And the end of his ministry, the end of his life, is not going to be pleasant. It's going to be marked with suffering. He's going to be a prisoner. Someone else is going to gird him and and take him where he does not want to go. His hands will be stretched out. Many commentators believe that that refers to one's hands are stretched out when you have a crossbeam before you're crucified. The author clarifies and says, this is about how Peter is going to glorify God, not just in his life, but in his suffering, in his death. Just imagine having that ministry where you know that you're going to suffer and die at the end of your life. And someone else is going to control you. And you're still called to follow the Lord and live passionately for Him. And you know this is on the horizon. I think it's important as we see many times in Scripture how Peter does not do a good job or messes up we see the trajectory of Peter confronted with suffering, not denying Jesus three times, but glorifying God in his death, associating himself with Jesus, living his life to tell others about Jesus, knowing that one day it's going to cost him his life. Before Jesus died for him, he was unwilling to associate himself with Christ. After the resurrection, he was willing to lay down his life. The whole process, Jesus summarizes in two powerful words, follow me. Peter was used mightily by the Lord to build the church. Peter's ministry was marked with suffering. In Acts chapter 5, He was beaten by religious leaders. In Acts 12, Herod put him in jail. And tradition has it that he was imprisoned and finally crucified in Rome, most likely by Emperor Nero. His mission was effective. He bore a lot of fruit for the glory of God. And yet suffering is on the horizon as Jesus gives him his mission. Now consider John's mission. John's mission was different. He did not seem to have the same level of suffering, and yet he was also following the Lord. He was used mightily by the Lord to testify to the church, to people, what Jesus had done and call people to believe in Christ. 
He wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And of course, he wrote the Gospel of John. He was used by the Lord, but in a, a different way than Peter was. What about our mission as a church? We often go to a few key passages that every follower of Christ ought to know that, that really brings us together. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're to go. We're to be purposeful, intentional, to make disciples so that they want to identify themselves through believer's baptism in Christ. And they want to live for Christ and, and observe and listen to the commandments of the Lord, not because they're burdensome, because it's a way they get to show others, I am a follower of Jesus. We have a mission to make disciples to share the good news, to teach the Word of God, and that often has consequences. We do this because we love God, we believe He loves us, and we want to show that love to others even if there is a cost. Another great passage that just brings us together on our mission is Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. This is the mission of followers of Christ. In fact, as you think about our church mission statement, it says, the mission of Faith Church is to glorify God by winning people to Jesus Christ and equipping them to be more faithful disciples believing that God loves us, we want to love God in return, and we want to tell others about His love, but the reality is He loves sinners. When we talk about the Word of God, it's not always going to be received well. There's going to be suffering as we share the love of Christ with others because not everyone wants to hear it or obey the Lord. That's our church mission statement. How does that play out in our individual lives? Consider your mission as a follower of Christ individually. When we think about our purpose in life, our mission in life, we often think about key passages like 2 Corinthians 5.9. We have as our ambition, our goal, our mission, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Or... 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all, do all to the glory of God. Or one that helps us see the difficulty of our mission a bit more clearly is Matthew 16.24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and here's the words again, follow me. The mission is to put Christ in the center of everything, to honor Him in everything. Be willing to talk about Him and His authority over us, even if that has consequences. 
I think that's why 1 Corinthians 15, 58 understands how difficult it's really going to be to, to live for the Lord. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in what? Always abounding in the, the work of the Lord. He's telling the Corinthian church, focus on the, the work of of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You are not vacuuming the outside. You're not doing something that doesn't really matter because I couldn't even ever really see the leaves, but they were always there. We work in a way that's not in vain. There is something being produced that God sees that is valuable. The question is, do you see your life through that grid? Where everything in your life you view through the mission of, I am doing this for the Lord. Wherever I am, I am in the Lord. I'm in a relationship with Him. And so everything is about bringing Him glory. Suffering tends to reveal what really drives you, what motivates you, what your mission in life is. That's why earlier in 1 Peter is he wants to help believers suffer well. Help believers not give up. Help believers not be afraid like he was to disassociate or associate himself with Christ to still call yourself a Christian and not worry about who knows it even if that costs you something. 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, because others know you're a follower of Christ, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Everyone who desires... To not live for themselves, but desires to to live godly lives will be persecuted. Suffering is on the horizon. It's not the same as Peter, but if someone wants to follow Christ, there is going to be suffering. You may not be crucified or, or killed for your faith. But we need to have that same mindset and prepare the next generation for whatever is on the horizon. And that starts with everyday, mundane, simple aspects of life. How do you process the possibility of suffering in the future? You focus on your mission in small ways every day. Whatever you do, be purposeful. If you're going to start your own business... Do so because you believe it glorifies God. If you're going to work third shift, do so because you believe it is glorifying to God. If you're going to try to get a baseball scholarship or go to school to be a writer, do so because you believe it's going to bring God glory. If you're a stay-at-home mom, do you believe this is God's mission for you to, to serve Him with this awesome responsibility? If you go back to school later in life, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you believe this is what God wants you to do to bring Him glory? If you're a grandpa or a grandma who is moving closer to family to see your grandkids, 
Are you focusing on how that is part of your mission to follow Christ? Whatever you do, are you focused on the mission? The great honor that we have as believers is that we are not to just do things because we feel like it. We're not to just go through the motions. We can't do what we want to do because it's comfortable or because it's what others expect of us or because it just pays the bills or because it's safe. Our mission requires focus and purpose and everything, everything must be filtered through the words of Christ. Follow me. I want to encourage you to evaluate your life, your everyday, seemingly mundane aspects of your life, and think about following Christ as you endure the challenges that every day brings with purpose that you are glorifying God by following Him in whatever you do. And look for opportunities to teach the next generation to live purposefully. I don't know if you know this, but it's graduation season. You guys, you guys are aware of this? Many of you have probably gone to like 37 of them already, right? Maybe two or three. Teens and parents are thinking a lot about their future, schooling, job, and some kids, believe it or not, are going to change their direction. They're going to change and alter where, where they're going. I just think it's so important to encourage everyone, no matter what stage of life you're in, to ask the question, am I doing this for the Lord? What's going to give me the endurance to keep doing it when it's not fun, exciting, when it's really, really difficult, when there is suffering, when somebody finds out I'm a follower of Christ and they make my life really difficult? Be purposeful. View everything in your life with the focus on following Him so that when suffering comes, and it, it will come, it is on the horizon. Your mission will help you endure, persevere, and serve with joy in the name of the Lord that you are not afraid to associate yourself with. In your own mind, and even by your testimony. Prepare for future suffering by living purposefully now. If we're not purposefully now, we will not be able to handle suffering well. You will not be able to handle a cruel coworker or an unreasonable boss or the monotony of repetitive tasks that seem pointless if it's just for a paycheck. You will eventually get frustrated, bitter, and just numb to everything. But for followers of Christ with purpose, there's, there's hope. The words, follow me, can resonate in our minds each and every day, so we don't just go through the motions. We have too glorious a Savior and too glorious a mission to simply go through the motions. Second key is don't get distracted. Don't get distracted from the mission. Notice this. Notice what, what we see in the text. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. 
the one who also had leaned back on the bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Whoa. And Jesus said, you, follow me. Do you get easily distracted? Peter did. Just let this sink in. Peter just got restored from denying Jesus three times. And he, he's laid out his mission to feed the sheep and to, to, to follow the Lord. And now the reality of his suffering is on the table. And you just wonder how many seconds. One, two, what about that guy? What about that guy over there? We can get so easily distracted in a lot of different ways. And one is by comparing yourself to others. Peter is comparing his life and his suffering and death. He's thinking about this, and immediately he's like, what about John? What about this guy? I think many of us would probably do the same thing. I think many of us do do the same thing. Jesus actually told a parable in Matthew 20 that captures the other side of this. Not the suffering that one will experience and the lack of suffering another might experience, but he actually talks about how generous he might be. The parable in Matthew 20 talks about a group of day laborers. And some are waiting by the side of the road and they get selected to come and work. And this is a parable to work in a vineyard, and they are agreed upon for one day's wages. And the parable goes on where there's day laborers that come throughout the day, and they get the same wages. And finally, you get a few people who come like for, for one hour. They work for one hour, and they get the same wages everybody gets. And some of the laborers say, that's not fair. We worked all day long, and they only worked for an hour and you gave them the same amount. Matthew twenty fourteen captures the very end of this parable. It says, take what is yours and go. Like, we agreed on this. You got what was yours. But if I wish to give this last man the same as to you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish and what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? The parable points to the gracious gift of salvation that none of us deserve. If someone comes to know Christ at an early age and lives for the Lord their whole life, that's by the grace of God. If someone comes to the Lord at the end of their life, even if they've not lived for the Lord and glorified Him, but they, they glorify God by coming to know the Lord at the end of their life, are we to compare and say, well, wait a second, that's not fair? Or are we to say, it's not fair for anyone to be saved? He is gracious. He is generous, but it's so easy for us to want to compare, even even when we think about God's grace and his gift and his generosity. When we lose focus on our salvation and how we don't deserve it, we begin to start focusing on everybody else. And you think about who's got more suffering than I do? Who's got more blessings than I do? You compare yourself. 
and your mission of following Christ because you're so overwhelmed with your salvation, it is not our focus. Comparing yourself to others will not help you accomplish your mission of following Christ. In fact, it will hinder you because we're often distracted by jealousy and selfish ambition. James 3.16 says, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition um, exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. When everybody's thinking about what they want, how they can get to the top, there's chaos. But wisdom that comes from above is full of good fruits. And our mission is to produce fruit to the glory of God. And we can bear that fruit in season and out of season. Peter is going to shift from really wanting the readers of of 1 Peter to endure suffering well for the glory of God to thriving and bearing fruit for the glory of God. God equips people for His mission to endure suffering for His glory, but He equips us also to bear fruit, to work for His glory because of His work on the cross for our salvation. But we can often be tempted with being discontent with how He's equipped us. It's easy to be discontent with our giftedness. Everyone has different gifts and abilities. But everyone needs to respond with a recognition that God has supplied this to me. And I want to use it for my mission of following Him and not compare myself to others. That's why 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Think about someone who has physical limitations reading that passage. Or think about someone who's just not strong in a certain area who is called to serve with the strength that God has supplied, not with the strength that God has not supplied. To what end? What's the purpose? So that in all things, God may be glorified. You know, when I was in high school, you always get nervous being in the weight room of like, how much can I lift? And other people think I can't lift very much. And now... Being over 40, I don't care about that at all. I just don't want to get hurt. I I just, I do not care what you think about me. If I'm lifting the bar, I just don't want to hurt this shoulder. And I want to maintain a little bit of muscle mass so that I can steward the gifts I can for as long as I can to the glory of God. And I'm so glad I don't care what anybody thinks about me when I can barely lift the bar. But I know in high school, it's just kind of like, how much can you bench? How much can you lift? And we just often extend that into other aspects of life. Some people are born into wealthy families, some are not. Some people are born very athletic, very intelligent, or tall, or really creative, with great reflexes, able to pick up languages like they're, they're picking up their car keys. Or some people come right out of the womb with perfect grammar. 
There's a variety of things people attribute value to that give you advantages in life, from skill to appearance, and yet everyone needs to be content with how God made them and not get distracted from God's mission for them and use whatever gifts they have, whatever strength they have, not for their glory in our culture, but for God's glory in His eyes. And He tends to love to use the weak to shame the strong, to show His his amazing power. Be content with what God has given you to complete your mission. Focus on growing closer to Him and helping others know Him better. 1 Timothy 6, 6-8 says, Godliness, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Be content. For we've brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. The body of Christ has a lot of different people coming together a lot of different gifts and ability, but what helps us have unity and focus is our mission, not comparing ourselves to each other. The Corinthian church needed this encouragement. Chapter 12 says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I'm not a hand, am I not a part of the body? It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If an ear says, Because I'm not an eye, am I not a part of the body? It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, just get this, God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. Let that wash over us and let us view our gifts and abilities as just what He desired us to have. He placed us in the body so we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves and not having the focus go to us, but to Christ as we all have that that mission. The unity of the body is not that we all have the same experiences, trials, gifts, but we have the same Savior. We're in awe that He would choose me that he would love a rebel and a sinner. And that's why we follow him. Again, Peter is restored. And it's not but a minute before he's focusing on somebody else. And this is in the presence of Jesus. We are also going to struggle with it, and we need each other's help to get our focus back on following Jesus. You know, I think a lot about the sacrifice of our soldiers, especially on Memorial Day. I often think a lot about D-Day and World War II and just the men who stormed the beaches. And the reality is if you look at the different uh, beaches, not all of them were the same. Um, Some of the beaches got hit with bombs and got weakened, and some were untouched. And you just think about the individuals, the first men who went on the beach, the people who were selected to be in the very first landing crafts. And you think about the men who were located in those sections that were not weakened, that were fully capable and powerful. 
And you just think of how thankful we are that those men did not compare themselves to others and think about who's on a different beach and how they focused on their mission that was right in front of them and they gave their life. Those sacrifices, I think, point us to the sacrifice of Christ. And yet, it's also instructive for us as we think about those who are willing to lay down their lives for the mission, we got to think about our mission and laying down our lives. We may not actually have to be killed because we tell someone we follow Christ. But every day we are called to deny ourselves, to not live for ourselves, to not make life all about us. A good question to ask ourselves is, how does thinking about this help me with my mission? How does thinking about this or knowing this, how does it help me follow Christ? We so often choose to think about things that have no bearing on our responsibilities. Don't help us actually do what God has called us to do. And the third key is to make sure the mission is christ centered. Notice this last section of the text. I love how John addresses something, but he gets the focus onto Christ. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple who would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. One of the things this instructs us to do is focus on the word of Christ accurately. I skipped this little section. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which, were, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Focus on the word of Christ accurately. John had to write a correction, a correction of a common saying that was circulating. Apparently, a bunch of people in the church thought that John was never going to die and and Jesus was going to come back in John's lifetime. And John was like, Jesus never said that. That's not accurate. He said, if I want that to happen, what's that to you? Not only was it just not accurate, that would tie all of the hope to who? That would tie all of the hope to John. And as John got older and older and older, and when John finally died, it'd be incredibly tempting to think, is Jesus worth following? He said he's going to come back when John was alive, and he didn't. Focus on the word of Christ accurately. We are called to speak the truth in love. We are called to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, we need all of each other, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The mission is all about Christ. And as a church body, we want to speak the truth in love to each other, and we want to speak the truth to a dying world that needs Jesus, even 
even if that's going to be offensive at times. And when the focus gets onto us, either good or not good, how can we shift the focus back to Christ? John addresses something like, I'm going to live forever. And he says, that's not what Jesus said. He shifts the focus back to Christ because it helps other people strengthen their faith. Philippians 2.13. I'm sorry. Letter B says, redirect your testimony to the testimony of Christ. Focus on how God is at work in us. He's at work in you. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. It's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for, for His good pleasure. Obviously, the first thing to follow Him is to admit you're a sinner, to place your trust in Jesus as your only hope of salvation. If you have never done that, please come talk to me. Come talk to Trey. We would love to make sure that you have a brand new mission on life so you can endure whatever comes for the glory of God because He is your salvation. John's mission was to testify and get the focus onto Christ. And that is also our mission Peter endured suffering. Peter didn't tell everybody all about how he's going to die. He was focused on helping them suffer well for the glory of God. There is a power at work in us that gives us hope, that allows us to endure suffering, and a power that allows us to accomplish the mission. Let me close with Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray to that end, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Memorial Day reminded of the sacrifices of men and women who laid down their life. Lord, we want to give honor to whom honor is due, and Lord, we want to redirect our attention to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. And Lord, I pray that that would move us, that would work in our hearts, that your power would function within us in such a way where we bring you glory and we bear fruit even in suffering. Heavenly Father, I just ask you to help us focus on our mission. Lord, help us not to compare ourselves to anyone else. Help us to be thankful for salvation and for the gifts and abilities you've given us and the circumstances you've called us to represent you and your truth and your glory. Lord, help us not get distracted by thinking about others. Help us guard our hearts from jealousy and selfish ambition and help us function in the body of Christ, Lord, for your glory. Lord, help us redirect our testimonies to the testimony of Christ. Help us see our mission as bringing up your good news in our relationships for your glory. Lord, thank you for your salvation. And thank you for our mission 
of sharing your salvation with others for your glory. Lord, we pray all of this in the strong, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.